listening to the Casting for Fun podcast, the show that talks about entertainment, sports, music, and inspirational stories for all to enjoy. We're glad you could join us today. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Now, here is your host, Albert Pineda. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Casting for Fun podcast. I am your host, Albert Pineda, and Star Wars Month on the podcast is rolling along. Uh, this week, For May 25th, Thursday, we are celebrating the 40th anniversary of Return of the Jedi. I'm very, very excited that I get to uh, celebrate uh, this major milestone and get to talk about one of my all-time favorite movies. Uh, Return of the Jedi is definitely a huge fan favorite for the Star Wars fandom. And uh, I think you'll be hard-pressed to find anyone to say a bad thing about that movie. Uh, I'm very excited that my good friend Peter Hauge is uh, joining me. For this episode to, to talk about his experiences watching Return of the Jedi growing up, what the movie means to us as adults now. And then, of course, we we touch on some interesting facts about the movie, some of them pretty well known, but some of them maybe you don't know. So hopefully you come away from this podcast learning something new about Return of the Jedi. Uh, before I get to my conversation with Peter, though, I did want to take a moment to acknowledge the, the passing of a notable actor, Ray Stevenson. Uh, who is going to be appearing on the Ahsoka show with Rosario Dawson later this summer on Disney+. Plus? He unexpectedly passed away just a few days ago on uh, May uh, the 21st. Uh, it's really sad and unfortunate. I think he was only in his uh, late 50s, uh, well-known for various roles. I think I know him best for playing the role of Volstagg, which is one of the Warriors 3 uh, from the Thor movies, Thor and Thor the Dark World. In fact, his co-star uh, from the Thor movie, Jamie Alexander, who plays Lady Sif, left a really touching tribute to him on her Instagram account, as did Rosario Dawson, who plays Ahsoka. And we'll get to see him on screen for the Ahsoka show. And I think he had been filming two other movies. So he has a few things coming out if people are interested in checking it out. But yeah, yeah. Uh, rest in peace to Ray Stevenson. Okay, so here we go. And this is my conversation with Peter celebrating the, the 40th anniversary of Return of the Jedi. Okay, awesome. So returning to the Casting for Fun podcast, my very good friend, Peter Hauge, third time on the show. Peter, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. Very well. Thank you for joining me for this. I mean, uh, I've been doing, I guess, a, a Star Wars theme, like a uh, string of episodes for the whole month of May, just celebrating everything Star Wars, which is pretty cool. And then in a few days, uh, well, we, it's, we're recording this on the 21st, but I'm planning to release this on the 25th when we celebrate the 40th anniversary of Return of the Jedi, which I think is really cool. Oh my God, <laughs> I feel so old. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, no. When you said uh, Return of the Jedi, um, I was I was all for it. That's a, it's it's my uh, it, it's probably one of my favorite of the of the Star Wars films. So like right right there behind A New Hope. So yeah. Uh, oh, awesome, awesome. So yeah, great. I definitely want to you know dive into conversation about Return of the Jedi to honor it for its 40th anniversary, and then of course like you know share like uh, experiences watching it, uh, interesting fun facts about the movie because there's plenty. There's some really cool stuff to go over. Yeah. And of course, anything else Star Wars related you want to talk to talk about or anything else in general is more than welcome on the show. Good deal. Okay, very cool. So Return of the Jedi, it was kind of interesting when it came out. It was always my favorite of the original three movies, even though I think in my older age, I think I enjoy Empire a little bit more. So I wanted to just get your take for you. What did you think of Return of the Jedi growing up over your memories watching it? I guess on old VHS copies before it was available for Blu-ray, DVD, and now streaming. Yeah. Um, no, Return of the Jedi. Okay, so uh, growing up, Return of the Jedi was definitely my favorite of the of the three. I think visually uh, for, for a kid at that time, it was the most visually appealing. It had the most aliens. It had... Um, I mean, just so many cool-looking characters. Uh, we saw a lot of Boba Fett. We saw the the Imperial Guards, the Red Guards. We saw Scout Troopers, you know, um, which were, I don't know, still some of my favorite-looking uh, Storm Troopers. Uh, we had the Ewoks, which I know at the time were definitely like a controversial kind of thing. People thought mm-hmm. it was very much pandering to, to little kids. And they're probably right, because it totally worked on me. Because <laughs> I absolutely loved the Ewoks and thought they were thought they were great i mean i think just like uh a lot of people now have fond memories of you know the the prequels and phantom menace which i am not a fan of really at all when it comes to the star wars films um that's kind of how i feel about return of the jedi like it has a very 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 special place in my heart um yeah there's so much about return of the jedi that uh that i love and I I mean, it, so it came out in 83. So I was very young. I, I was two years old. Uh, gosh, not not I hadn't even hit two yet. Um, when it uh, when it came out. So I mean, I, I had no memory of it at that age. I want to say my very probably like my earliest memories of actually watching it and, you know, absorbing it and taking it in as a as a film um, were probably in like. I'd say 87, maybe between like 87 and 89, uh, I had gotten the, uh, the three pack of the, uh, of, of the films on, uh, on VHS. Um, actually it was a four pack because it had, uh, the documentary from star Wars to Jedi, which was like mm-hmm. this really great behind the scenes documentary that they did. Um, so that was probably my first time, like really sitting down and, you know, watching it from start to finish and, you know, really taking it in and appreciating it for, uh for what it was um yeah and that was even before they uh they changed it uh and did like the color correction because before they did even special editions they had a a re-release where they fixed up some of the colors and even that i didn't really care for um i really just appreciated the like original original cut of uh of return of the jedi so um that was probably yeah the some of the the first times that uh that i started really watching it and yeah, it just it, it still blows me away. Oh, awesome. Uh, yeah, absolutely agree. I mean, it was just a fantastic, awesome, really exciting movie to watch as a kid. And it resonates with you so much so that into your adulthood, you still love it, too. Uh, I love the the forest setting. Uh, it was actually kind of cool that 
Uh, I think for one of the, the VHS releases before the special editions in 97, there was like a box set where each of the three movies had like a, a excerpt of an interview that George Lucas had done with Leonard Moulton, where they were talking oh. about it. And, and George Lucas was talking about, okay, well, at the time, like there are so many, so many locations you could use on planet Earth to record, you know, so or film rather. So, you know, you use the, the, the deserts of Tunisia to do Tatooine in the first right. movie. Uh, the snow setting in Hoth. So, I mean, it just seemed ideal for George. Hey, we need to do like, I guess, like a forest setting because that's yep. kind of one of our last options to do uh, use. And I thought it was perfect. I mean, the, the forest setting was great. I do. I enjoyed the Ewoks. The Ewoks were fun. And then to get the the final lightsaber duel between Vader and Luke and to see Vader come full circle, uh, that was really, really cool. Yeah, it was also one of my favorite uh, versions of Vader. I mean, they made some really subtle changes to to the Vader costume throughout the the three movies. But in the in Return of the Jedi, when we see Vader for the first time, like he just he's got this, such a menacing look to him. I mean, everything about him just seems like bigger and a little bit more like massive. I think his helmet was was even flared out a little bit more. Um, I, I, I thought it was the absolute best looking Vader that uh, that we had seen. Um, it, it really, really was uh, was amazing at the at the time. Um, I also remember as a kid being totally just like obsessed with the fact, you know, when we first see Luke and he comes in dressed in all black, right? Mm-hmm. Like blew my mind as as a kid thinking like, what the hell happened to Luke? You know, is he like, is he a bad guy now? Is he still a good guy? Like. You know, he's choking people with the, you know, doing the force choke on the on the Gamorian guards. Um, you know, he's trying to like mind mind tricks Bib Fortuna. He's trying to mind trick uh uh Jabba. Um and then you know the the scene where you know they uh they have him go down and uh, and fight the Rancor, I don't think a lot of people realize that if they were it would be very hard for them to do that scene now in any of the Star Wars movies and not have some Jedi bust out a lightsaber. But Luke, as a Jedi, takes down the Rancor without using a lightsaber whatsoever. He's just using... Does he even use the Force? He doesn't. I don't even think he uses the, the Force. You know, he, he sticks the bone in his, in his mouth. He, he smashes the, uh, the panel with the, with the rock. Like he just all does it with his own like cunning and while and, and like it's that, that that that's still I mean even just talking about it like absolutely blows me away we didn't we didn't see him uh, even use a lightsaber until uh, the very end of that scene when they're on the the sail barge and it pops up out of out of RTD two and then he you know grabs the lightsaber again like I was freaking out at that and the biggest freak out of all the lightsaber lights up. And it's a green lightsaber. Like, just that—that that, that is that, that is still such an amazing, amazing little bit of the of the whole thing. Which um, I, I I don't think they could have done that any more perfectly. Um, just such evolution of the uh, of the characters um, was was really really. Uh, it, it still has, has such an impact. I, I, I think it's. Gosh, even talking about it, I think it might become one of my favorite uh, Star Wars movies again. Because um, I really, I really like New Hope. Just like you said, as I've gotten, as, as you've gotten older, you know, your tastes or your sensibilities have kind of changed. And uh, Empire Strikes Back is a good one. A New Hope, I still really, really enjoy. Um, but I, I think visually and as a as a whole story, 
um, Return of the Jedi was is just it's so much fun. It's fun without um, without going over the top or without without spoiling anything. I'd say um, it, it's it's amazing. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, perfect. Sounds good, Peter. In fact, I totally agree with you. That whole sequence where where Luke is, uh, uh, you know, he they're at the the on the barge about to be like, you know, forced to walk the plank and fall into the Sarlacc pit. And Luke just gives the, the high sign to, to R2 shoot all his lightsaber. Cause I guess he, you know, had it con- secretly concealed there. Right. Which is pretty cool. And then just goes to town on all of Java's goons and uh, henchmen. Like, Oh, you guys are in trouble now. <laughs> yeah. So that, right. that whole I sequence mean, is probably like maybe my favorite of the whole movie, to be honest. Cause there, I mean, and there's so much to that, right. Cause it, it really puts, puts in your head, like, what was all this planning that went into it? I mean, we see that Lando was was already there. We don't see when mm-hmm. he arrives, uh, but we see that he's an agent that's already gotten in good with uh, with Jabba the Hutt. So he's already there. Like, how did that planning occur? You know, he planned it ahead so that uh, R2-D2 would have the lightsaber and he just sort of let him go with it, you know, days in advance. Going like, oh, yeah, here's a present for you. So that, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, they had to have known that uh that leia was going to get captured when she was uh the bounty hunter um Boche, not not uh, not bosk but uh i think Boche was the original bounty hunter that she was uh disguising herself as mm-hmm. um like they that just it, it was all just such like a heist that they that they were pulling to get uh, han solo out of there uh and you think it fails right you think like oh man you know uh when leia takes off her helmet and then you know she's trying to get han out of there uh, and then they catch him again. You just think like, wow, well, that just that that whole plan went completely south. And then you see, you know, Luke go in there and he's trying to negotiate for all of them. And then he gets captured. And you're like, wow, this is really going south. But then when that lightsaber pops out of R2-D2, you realize this plan didn't go south at all. This plan went perfectly. Everything was just such a setup like that. That I think is is uh, that that's something really special about that whole sequence. Like. I, I, every little bit just kind of gets you like, oh man, oh no, wow, and then just it, it, it's it's a lot of um, just amazing reveals. I think. Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, were there any other scenes that stood out to you uh, from from the movie itself? Well, let's see. As far as scenes go, um, I mean, definitely the speeder bikes. Um, that was that that was and is still just like such a cool bit. I mean what the hell are the Imperials doing? Like you're in a forest, you got all these trees that you can like crash <laughs> into. And they're like, what are we going to ride around here? I know what we'll do. We'll ride around like the, these like super fast speeder bikes. This is a totally great idea. And just to see them like whizzing by those trees and dodging everything and crashing into them. That I think was, was super cool. Um, we, we see the return of like some really cool vehicles that we saw in uh, uh, Empire Strikes Back, right? They had the AT-ATs, uh, the AT-ATs in, uh, in the Hoth uh, battle sequence. And in the background of, of Hoth, you see just like one or two of the ATSTs, the little chicken walkers. Yeah. Uh, and to see those be used like in heavy force on Endor... And just like a couple of AT-ATs, I, I think was was also really cool. So the speeder bike scene was uh, was was definitely an, an amazing bit. Um, I I did really like um, the uh, uh, 
here, here's one thing. I don't know if I need to get this out of the way now or if we should get it out of the way later. But I do have to say that um, uh, Return of the Jedi, Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, to me, are more or less remakes of A New Hope, but extended, right? It's, it's pretty much the same thing. It, it starts out in Empire Strikes Back with Luke meeting the uh, the crazy Jedi who's going to teach him the ways of the Force. They already did that in New Hope. He meets the Jedi who's going to teach him the ways of the Force, and it's like the unexpected teacher. Um, he's got to go, you know, face off against Vader. They already kind of met Vader in uh, in New Hope. Then they got to blow up the Death Star. They already blew up the Death Star at New Hope. So for them to do a lot of those same beats over again, I think is a very risky move right they show a second death star and you're like oh man they're doing this again and then you know the fact they did it a third time even in force awakens is that's that's something else altogether (laughs) um but to see what i'd say you know is a second trench run right um and i'm talking about the millennium falcon going through the uh uh you know into the core of the uh of the Death Star, uh, I think that was also like a really amazing sequence, and we don't even see Han Solo piloting the the Falcon at that point. It's all um, Lando Calrissian and um, his co-pilot uh, uh, Ninyub. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, th- th- those were probably some of the the big parts uh, for me that I, I really enjoyed. Um, I had so many um, so many things from that uh, from that movie. I, I should have brought them out actually. Um, but, uh, I used to put together plastic models, you know, like the little snap together models or like modeling glue and planes. They did a series of those for, um, for, for the star Wars movies. And I made one of an ATST, uh, and I had a couple A-wing fighters, uh, cause that was also like a lot of fun just seeing all sorts of new spaceships that they, uh, they released. You had the A-wing, we had the B-wing, we had the Mon Calmari uh, Star Cruiser, sort of like the good guys mm-hmm. version of, uh, of a Star Destroyer. Mm-hmm. It's such cool stuff. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the merchandise was fantastic for this movie. Yeah. And of course, obviously, that's where George Lucas made the majority of his money from, which is pretty yes. cool. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, yeah. So Most of it was for me. <laughs> Yeah, so yeah, the merchandise was fantastic. And I mean, that was super genius on his part to do that uh and again i i think harrison ford got a little bit of a back end as well right either with the the revenue of the movies or the merchandise itself so i mean he he made out with more than anybody else i think did he re- i didn't know that yeah uh you know i'm gonna do a little more research about that to figure out exactly how much or what his deal was but okay uh, it was interesting because i mean i, I do want to get to that as well interesting facts about the movie and the fact that uh he almost didn't even come back at all for Return of the Jedi. It was a possibility because I guess he was only under contract for A New Hope and Empire, whereas oh. uh, Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill were under contract for all three. Okay, so, well, I mean, that, that makes sense with uh, him getting frozen in uh, Empire. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I want to throw out some interesting facts as I was you know, researching about the movie. Okay. Uh, I think it was kind of interesting. And of course, if you have anything you want to add, please feel free. But uh, what was kind of interesting when I was researching this is I discovered that uh, Steven Spielberg had actually been approached by Lucas to possibly direct uh, Return mm. of the Jedi. But the problem was that, uh, I guess, George Lucas had severed ties with the uh, Directors Guild Union uh, over the years. Yeah, of, I think, like, maybe, something to the effect of, like, if I'm remembering it correctly, that he did not want the, the opening credits to, to come on at the beginning of the movie. And yes, that's the point right, where that's he right. had to quit the guild in order to get things the way he wanted to. <laughs> 
wow yeah what like that's that that that's right that that so does that make it like one of the first movies that didn't have like oh well because i guess a lot of times uh yeah that, that must have been one of the first movies to not have uh like opening credits like we were uh we we're really used to i suppose right yeah it was definitely one of the first like major releases like major releases yeah. like that and then uh i guess david lynch had also been approached to which wow. would have been a really interesting uh, pick yeah but ultimately, uh, he he went with uh, Richard Marquardt, who I'm, I'm not really familiar with his work. I guess he did a Beatles documentary back in the 70s, but okay. he wasn't necessarily like uh, uh, well versed in doing a special effects heavy type movie, which hmm. uh, I guess so I guess Lucas was there on set pretty much every day to kind of help. So, guide him. In that research, then, do you know why Lucas didn't direct it himself? Uh, my understanding was it, it had to do with like the, the nightmarish experience he had with A New Hope. I guess like they had like a lot of like, you know, uh, storms or other things that were going on while filming in Tunisia. I guess the whole experience was kind of like messy for him. I think they went over budget okay. where I mean, like if, if the New Hope hadn't have been a financial success, I mean, he could have gone under for sure. Yeah, I sure. So so I, that was my understanding is that it, it kind of stemmed from just like the, the first movie being kind of a nightmarish experience for him. And that's why he opted to have somebody else direct uh, Empire and Return of the Jedi. OK, OK. But it would be interesting to, to, to research that a little bit more. In fact, I know a lot of my listeners love Star Wars. So if anybody knows for certain, please reach out to me and let me know. Uh, another interesting fact, I guess Yoda wasn't in the original script, but Ooh. was brought in to, to, I guess, to officially confirm that, yes, Vader is your father when Luke had asked him about it. Because it's kind of interesting that if people watching Empire for the first time back then in 1980 would they have really believed it? Like maybe like they're just faking us out or mm -hmm. it'd be really interesting to go back and watch it with fresh eyes for the first time. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. Um, okay. I agreed. Um, what, one of the things, yeah, that, that always does kind of ha has sort of bugged me about it is I do feel like a lot of those, uh, those sort of changes that they made, right? Because A New Hope was originally not A New Hope. It was yeah. originally just Star Wars. It didn't yeah. become A New Hope until they did Empire Strikes Back. And they're like, oh, no, no, it's a trilogy that I've planned all along. It's like, it yeah. wasn't really planned all along. It was originally a self-contained movie. Yeah. And I honestly believe, like, in my heart of hearts, that when Obi-Wan tells Luke at the beginning, Darth Vader betrayed and murdered your father, I think he is being very, like, he, he, Alec Guinness is being very literal in, in what he's telling him like no this is the story here Darth Vader's a separate guy and he betrayed and he murdered your father and like that's that so for mm -hmm. them to go back and do all this extra no 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 no. actually Darth Vader is your father and what I told you is is true from a certain point of view mm -hmm. that's probably one of the moments where I'm just kind of like mm, no I, I don't know about that like that, that that's a strange point of view to take and you know, they, they've kind of changed it with, uh, or, or changed it, uh, they fixed it, or they've maybe clarified it a little bit more with the Obi-Wan show, you know, having that final showdown uh, mm -hmm. in the last episode of Obi-Wan. Yeah. You know, it did kind of, it, it does feel a little bit better if you take it all as a whole now and you see like, okay, I guess Darth Vader, quote, you know, did betray Anakin, quote, you know, it, it, it does kind of work, but... But at the time, that was probably one of the one of the things where I was just like, oh, come on, this is a stretch. And then you're going to tell us Leia's the sister, too. Like, oh, come on. Like, you don't need to go with all that. So okay. that that was always a, a, a tough one um, for for me to sort of handle. But uh, mm -hmm. 
I, it's it's softened up with me over the years i'd say like I've, oh okay I've yeah i definitely want to come back to uh leia all of a sudden becoming the sister because that's sure. actually very important crucial to the <laughs> some of the development of the movie uh but going back to what you had mentioned before about the big reveal of the green lightsaber it's actually interesting that with all the promotional material coming out it was actually supposed to be blue uh, it oh. was changed in post-production because I think just simply for the reason that George went over the footage and thought that the blue co- uh, didn't contrast enough. Like, I guess against the blue skyline of Tatooine, it looked okay, too Okay, okay. Yeah, so like he wanted something to stand out better. And I guess the green lightsaber seemed ideal for that, which is kind cool. of interesting, I thought. Yeah. Um, Jabba took six different puppeteers. I think this is a little more well-known, but it's worth repeating that. Six different puppeteers over a half a million dollars in three months to make him, which is absolutely like blows my mind. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) In that documentary uh, from Star Wars to Jedi, they they show a lot of that and they show his whole inner workings and all the different people that were were inside of him. And like, even in his tale, um, it was, uh they they had a they had a little person like in in his tail is that uh i don't know if that's right (laughs) the preferred uh, nomenclature but uh yeah there was like some guy in his tail like you know thrashing it around and having it uh having it do its thing that was yeah that was that was pretty cool Mm -hmm. oh absolutely half a million though we say half a million now that that doesn't even sound like that much like oh half a million dollars for job my uh, house man right (laughs) yeah right that's small house but yeah (laughs) yeah but uh, yeah, uh, the Ewoks, the Ewoks are very interesting, too. So the, the the phrase or word Ewok is never actually said in the movie. But I guess with all the promotional material, all the merchandising, everybody knew what they were called, along with the name of the, the main Ewok, Wicket, played by Warwick yes. Davis. Uh, he's credited Warwick Davis in, the, in credits as Wicket. And uh, Kenny Baker, who did Double Duty, played R2 and one of the other Ewoks, uh, one of the ones named Pablo, was also credited in the credits. But yes. it's kind of interesting that, you know, a year later we get the the, the made for TV Ewoks movie, the Caravan of Courage. So I think that's I, where people really kind of got like, OK, that's where his name is Wicked and they are called the Ewoks. Yes, yes. Uh, which I am a huge, huge fan of Caravan of Courage and Battle for Endor. Both of those movies I, I, I really love, like unapologetically. I think those are those are excellent movies, but. I might. Uh, <laughs> might we could probably it. do a whole episode just talking about that. Probably could. I, I might. I might lose some of my uh, my Star Wars uh, street cred though, and saying that uh, how much I like those movies. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. you definitely won't lose it with me because you, you, you oh, got a nice, fan nice. of me. So, <laughs> uh, but okay. So sticking with Return of the Jedi, uh, the sure. deleted scenes were pretty fascinating. You you had mentioned that we get the big reveal of Luke coming into Jabba's palace, all decked out in black. You know, yeah. using the force choke on the Gamorrean guards. But again, there's the deleted scene that we see Luke actually constructing a lightsaber, which is really, really cool to see. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of cool to actually kind of see that because we never really saw much about like the actual making the construction process of a lightsaber, even though that's very much integrated into Star Wars lore now. Yeah. But it was kind of cool to see that scene. Along with there was extended scenes with uh, the Imperial officer that Vader talked with in the beginning of the movie, uh, Jared Gerard. In my notes, his name's never mentioned in the movie, but yeah, yeah, I guess like there's a, a conflicted scene where or a scene where he's conflicted because he's given the order to use the Death Star against the Moon of Endor and destroy it while the battle's going on. So it's oh, kind whoa, of really? Scene, but I guess it's kind of like it takes you out of the narrative a little bit because all of a sudden we're focusing on uh, an Imperial officer that we barely know at all. So I guess I can kind of see why it was removed. 
now in your research, do you know who was uh, who originally uh, auditioned for that Imperial officer? I did. Yeah, yeah. It was Alan Rickman, which is so yes. crazy, which is really really cool. Five years before, he would make a household name of himself playing Hans Gruber in Die Hard, which is pretty crazy. Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I can't help but think maybe if they had given him the role, maybe they would have beefed it up a little bit. Who knows? But uh, yeah, uh, that, uh, yeah. Who knows? Who knows how his career would have uh, would would have would have changed or altered course? You know, had he been a, a Star Wars actor. So yeah, yeah. Uh, so a couple other things I wanted to bring up. So apparently there was uh, alternate endings that were potentially considered. I don't know how close these actually came to actually making the final script. But apparently there was a, I mean, it's been well documented that Harrison Ford lobbied for Han Solo to die, to sacrifice himself for the rebel cause. Hmm. And I guess uh, Lawrence Kasdan, the, the co-writer with George Lucas, was like pulling for that idea. But George was the one who, put, who nixed it, said, nah, nah not going to happen. I, I want to sell oh. Han Solo toys. If he's dead, I can't sell Han Solo toys. So I don't, know, I don't know if that's true, but OK, yeah. sure. sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's the way Lucas saw it in the early days of merchandising. But uh, it's interesting that I guess if Han Solo had died, there was a, a, a fan theory uh, channel on YouTube. I was kind of speculating that that potentially could have been the catalyst for one of the potential endings with Luke actually taking uh, Vader's mantle, putting on his mask and becoming the Sith Lord. Which, again, it kind of seems jarring for, for me that they would went, go that direction. And I don't think huh. that was ever actually really into serious consideration. But it is kind of. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that would be that, that would be pretty hard to hard to imagine. Huh. Yeah. And then the other one, another potential ending, which, again, I'm not sure how uh, accurate or how close this was to actually making it into the script. But apparently it was going to maybe have like a spaghetti Western type ending where Luke doesn't join in the celebration in Endor, but actually just walks away into the sunset. Uh, hmm. Because I guess with this ending, it was going to be revealed that uh, Maya wasn't the sister. In fact, he had another sister with additional movies coming out. In fact, I, I remember seeing an old interview that Maria Shriver, of all people, did with Luke with uh, Mark Hamill, where they were potentially laying out the, the ideas that George Lucas had come up with for episode seven, eight, and nine, if we ever got that. We, we obviously got a very different 789 because of the Disney acquisition. But yeah. it is kind of interesting to think that the, it could have played out differently and that it wasn't initially until the, the final draft of the script came out that Leia was revealed to be the sister because at that point she wasn't. So Right. Huh. I, 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 didn't, I didn't know about all that with the alternate sister. Um, huh. Yeah, that's another one of those stories that I think I want to do a little more research about and see how, how much information we have. Because, I mean, as we mentioned before, like sometimes stuff gets lost and um, no one really remembers what was actually going to happen. But it is kind of interesting to think about. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, uh, one, more, one more. One oh, more. Uh, sure. oh, sorry. Go ahead, Peter. No, no, no. Maybe, maybe your last one's the, the one I had, but go for okay. it. Okay. One more that it's really, really cool that I wanted to share. Um, so, uh before we got the, the extended, I'm sorry, the uh, special editions in 97, we had gotten the, the two really cool, like, iconic theme of songs that were used in the movie uh, the, for Jabba's Palace and for the Ewok Celebration songs, both of which were actually had, written with English uh, lyrics that mm -hmm. were written by Joseph Williams, who is the lead singer of the band Toto and also has a connection to Star Wars in that he is the son of legendary composer John Williams. So really? Yeah. So he wrote English lyrics for both of those songs uh, for the Napti Nick, which it translates it to be a fancy man, the, the Jabba Palace theme song and the Ewok celebration song. 
So it is kind of a little disheartening that I guess they had they were they opted to replace those with the special editions in 97. But it is pretty cool to think that okay, so he wrote lyrics for those particular songs, and then John, his his father, did the com- composure of the songs itself. Now, I which really, really wish we had left those songs in because those songs I think were highlights of the original theatrical cut. Now, wh- which song are because originally the Cy, you're not talking about the one that Cy Snoodles and the Max Rebo band does, right? The one where Cy Snoodles is singing. Uh, that's the one. The, yeah, yeah. I thought the title of that was "Working Out" or something like that. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna do a little more research to find it because from what I, I, what I saw, it's apparently called uh, "Fancy Man." But I guess there's in the the English lyrics that uh, Joseph Williams had written. I guess there's a lyrical suggestions of like you know physical working out, which could have some other. Maybe, okay, maybe, maybe <laughs> I'm just thinking because I, I remember hearing like lines of it, and uh-huh. uh, again, like there's uh, there's clips of of them practicing or them singing the song, and uh, yeah, there there's some lines about like working out, like shaping up and working out or, or yeah. something like that. Uh, which I I gotta say one of I, I can't believe I didn't even mention him, but my one of my absolute favorite, favorite characters that we saw so little of in the movie was Max Rebo, the blue oh. elephant guy uh, yeah. <laughs> playing, playing the keyboard. I don't know what it was about him, but I, I thought he was the coolest, coolest guy. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not, not neither here nor there, but uh, I just had to. No, no, in fact, I, I don't know Max. if you're a fan of uh, Robot Chicken, by Seth Green, the Cartoon Network show. The, sure, sure. Oh, okay, yeah, they guess they did uh, the, the Star Wars. They've done several Star Wars episodes. Yeah. They do a segment where... Uh, they have Max Rebu releasing his own solo album, like coming up with songs called like I'm Not a Blue Elephant, things like that. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's cool. Funny, yeah. And then then Max Rebu, we, we find out, apparently survived the, the explosion of Jabba's Barge and came in the Book of Boba Fett, which is kind of cool. Yes, that's right. That's right. Uh, well, and the books are no longer uh, are no longer canon, but uh, mm-hmm. there, there was a book, Tales from Jabba's Palace, and it talks all about uh, Sice Noodles, Max Rebu. Mm-hmm. And the third guy, uh, Droopy McCool, uh, how they all escaped, and you know, kind of a little bit, a uh, little bit about their backstory. And I always thought that was uh, that was a really neat one. Uh, yeah. They even had, they, they even had a cool uh, short story in there about um, that dancer, um, not um, the not the Twilight Twi- dancer. Oh, Twilight. Okay. Which one? The, the not the Twilight dancer, right? Not the Twilight dancer, um, but the uh, much more corpulent uh, oh, dancer. Okay. <laughs> Gar- Gar- I think her name was like Gardola or something uh-huh. like that. Yeah, uh, and she was from a uh, she was an alien species where, um, like, part of uh, the more water she drinks, you know, she gets bigger and bigger. So it's like a water storage thing. But by the end of the short story, she had like sort of shed all this extra water weight and was like fairly attractive. And even like the warts and stuff that she had uh-huh. were all just makeup because Jabba liked, you know, it reminded him of his mother. And so he wanted her to be like <laughs> as big as possible. And so, uh-huh. uh, but it was all, it was all makeup for her and stuff like that. That was neat. Uh, do you remember the uh, the original title for Return of the Jedi? I I do, and it's kind of funny that I remember it because of our time in Dragon Fix together. Because if I remember correctly, I mean, this is Peter and I are going to be geeking out a little bit from our our time in high school. Uh, if I remember correctly, Miss Dunn had a copy of it, and she gave it to our mutual friend Matt Calamia because in our class he was the one that was like the biggest Star Wars fan you would ever meet. But the oh. original title was Revenge of the Jedi. That's right. I had a sweatshirt that originally ha- was an original Revenge of the Jedi sweatshirt. My stepmother had uh, had given it to me, um, and I, I have no idea what became of that sweatshirt. But uh, yeah, that, that was when I first learned about that. I thought that was pretty cool. 
Yeah, yeah. Up until that point, I had no clue. And then it was actually really cool to see that that poster. And I guess it was changed late into production. Like they had actually produced a lot of merchandise. Yeah. Jedi, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, that, yeah, they must have. I mean, if there's a poster and a, and a sweatshirt that, you know, we uh, both seen. Yeah, I, it, um, I guess they, they thought it was uh, was too dark sounding so too dark sounding and i guess i've also heard that uh that revenge isn't necessarily uh uh a tactic or uh, a belief that jedis would hold on to so it was kind of interesting that they would reuse that title for revenge yeah the that, for the prequels. that's true but i mean you know we really gotta we gotta consider the fact that like so much of what we know about jedi now uh, was not established until the prequels, you know, like the, yeah. the Jedi robes and everything like that. And everyone having that same look. I mean, we only ever saw that robe when Obi-Wan Kenobi was wearing it. For all we knew, that was just what some old robes that, that he liked to wear, you know, cause he was just some, some old guy hanging out on the desert. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until the Phantom Menace came out where they're like, Oh, they all dress like that. They all got this code. And um, I mean, the, the the prequels to me again this is this might be a, a little bit of a, a little bit of a tangent but the the prequels to me did kind of go in such a, a strange direction I mean the the they they tried um, uh, explaining a lot of the things that were never explained in the original three movies that I kind of wish they had gone a different direction with you know when uh, uh, Luke Skywalker's talking to Obi-wan in a new hope and they talk about the Clone Wars. Right. That's all it is like, oh, you fought with my father in the Clone Wars. And again, like as kids, you know, we had so many like theories on what the heck that must have meant. You know, what what is a Clone War? And like what what did that all turn into? And I don't know. I wasn't I wasn't terribly thrilled with what the Clone Wars actually turned out to, to be. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, my own headcanon was always, uh, until we saw the prequels, my own headcanon was that uh, the Clone Wars had to do with them cloning the Jedi. And the way I always resolved the uh, the line of Darth Vader betrayed and murdered your father, but then it turned out he was his father, is I always had assumed that uh, Darth Vader was a clone of Anakin Skywalker. Some For some reason, they tried cloning these uh, mm-hmm. these Jedis to make more of them. And uh, one of them turned evil and killed his father and then went on to become Darth Vader, which would have been sort of, you know, if I guess if he was a clone, he still would technically be the father of, of Luke. But that's just my own, own uh, yeah, like I say, my own headcanon. But, uh, oh, no, no, it's, it's interesting that you, you bring up a great point. The fact that when, you know, we're first getting into Star Wars as young kids, we just have, you know, the books and uh, some video games, but really just the original trilogy. So we, we kind of develop our own headcanons on how we expected things to go. In fact, yeah. your, your theory about clones was kind of interesting because in my mind as a kid, I always thought of Obi-Wan as being a clone. And that's why oh. he just disappears when Vader slices him in uh, A New Hope. Oh, wow. He didn't kill the original Obi-Wan, but in fact, just a clone. But obviously, uh, that was again, just a wild that. speculation on my part, but <laughs> oh, that, I think that's I think that's so cool. That's yeah, uh, yeah. that's that's pretty awesome, huh? I do like that. I will say so. Uh, again, this was in like middle school and uh, and up into high school. One of the other things that uh, uh, beyond the novels and beyond uh, like a couple comic books, something that I really got heavily into, and I still have a lot of them, was uh, they had uh, they had made a Star Wars role playing game. Uh, by a company called West End Games, and it was similar to Dungeons and Dragons. I mean, it's a pen and paper role playing game. 
very different set of rules and mechanics than Dungeons and Dragons, but uh, they came out with so many different source books uh, to support this game and to give you know material for folks to play with to, to create these uh, these role playing games. And that's where I learned a lot of what I know about Star Wars because. They, they had uh, whole guides that would explain the alien races. And that's how you, I knew what like what a Mon Calmari was and what a Twi'lek was and what a what a Rodian was and like all these all these extra things. Um, and I, I, I they, they've uh, since changed a bunch of hands. I think Wizards of the Coast for a while had the, the rights to the Star Wars role playing game. Um, but anyone who can get their hands on some of that West End games, those like D6 uh, Star Wars uh, source books or galaxy guides, as they called them, uh, those were amazing sources of uh, uh, of extended material that um, I, I really enjoyed. Oh, absolutely! I, I I agree with you. In fact, it was kind of interesting that whenever you heard an alien species mentioned, sometimes you would think, "Oh, you know, if we don't really know much about them, it would, you would want to like kind of dig in and try and find out more." Uh, a good example of that would be the Bothans. You know, we have that line from Ma uh, Mothma. Yes. You know, many Bothans died to bring us this Death Star information. So I was just fascinated by the Bothans. Like, who exactly are they? And then we get to see them uh, in the one of the Battlefront video games. I think one Battlefront 1 or 2 on the PlayStation 2 or Xbox. Yes. They're like a, like a, a cat like a, a cat face, but like they have like, you know, sabotage skills, like they can camouflage. So the, the Bothans were really, really cool. In fact, I would love to see them expanded in a future uh, uh, Lucasfilm project. That'd be really cool. I think more, learn more about who the Bothans were. At, at, the, at the rate they're going, I'm not surprised they they, they haven't done yeah. it already. I yeah. thought Andor, <laughs> I thought we were going to see them even in Rogue One. Well, no, uh -huh. I guess because Rogue One would have been about just the uh, the original Death Star. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I, I definitely thought we, we, we'd have seen some more, uh, some more Bothan stuff by now. Um, the I had always seen them as being more like a goat like, uh, oh, kind of like oh, okay, I, I yeah, feel, uh, maybe, maybe, yeah, I, who knows? Uh, definitely not human, <laughs> no, like, no, no, some no, type no. of animal yeah. face. And if I remember, maybe that's just how I remember it seeing the pixel pixelated version on uh, on PlayStation 2, like it looked almost like cat like to me, but oh, yeah, well, very interesting, very cool. Uh, did you have any other facts or anything else interesting about Star Wars you wanted to bring up? We kind of went over all the talking points I had. Gosh. Um, so yeah, no, Revenge of the Jedi was, uh, was one of them. Um, I, you know, we're going to, we're going to end this and then I'm going to come up with about 10 more things. And I was like, <laughs> oh man, we didn't even talk about, uh, we, we didn't even talk about this. Um, no, man, I think that, uh, that covers, uh, that covers so much of it. Um, I, I, I will say some of the best stuff I did read though, um, was, uh, Tales from Jabba's Palace. Uh, if mm -hmm. anyone can still get their hands on that novel, um, it uh, that really had some great little short stories. Uh, I think Tales from Jabba's Palace. It wasn't. Yeah, I think Tales from Jabba's Palace. It was originally how they uh, explained Boba Fett getting out of the Sarlacc pit. Um, oh, that, okay, cool. That 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 was something that uh, was that book, or it was ta the Tales of the Bounty Hunter. But I'm pretty sure it was Tales from Jabba's Palace that uh, mm -hmm. that talks about him uh, and how he how he got out of the uh, got out of the Sarlacc pit. Um, I think Dangar Dangar was one of the uh, the guys who who pulls him out. He was the uh, the bounty hunter we see very briefly in Empire Strikes Back with the uh, the white turban. Yeah, he's like all all bandaged up. He was he was really messed up. I'm pretty sure he was one of the guys who uh, who came back looking for uh, for Boba Fett. But mm -hmm. that's, that's again just a little little uh, side 
side thing. He certainly wasn't uh, rescued by the sand people, but yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, I I mean, I don't know if you're a fan of the the TV show Parks and Recreation. Sure. Oh, okay. Yeah, I always love uh, Pat Oswalt's like take on it. He just like yes. both had essentially just saved himself, but basically. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that was a that was a good bit, which was all ad lib, wasn't it? I think so. Yeah, he he was just told, "Hey, you got to just do a filibuster." So just talk about anything you want. And he just went off <laughs> on a really like ridiculous but really cool sounding like uh, pitch for like merging the Star Wars and Marvel universes together. Which yeah, kind of funny. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. But, uh, very cool. Uh, so yeah, if I guess if you have nothing else, I mean, we'll go ahead and wrap up. But uh, Peter, thank you so much for for joining me. It's always great to catch up with you, see that you're doing well, and it just geek out about Star Wars. So likewise, um, yeah, you know what? I'm probably gonna put Return of the Jedi on again right now, just to awesome. uh, just to see. It. Although I don't can't even see it. I do have some DVDs of the pre special editions uh, somewhere, some like bootleg DVDs. But uh, I'm gonna have to to put those on because special editions. Uh, I don't know. Not 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 a fan. They put so much work into so many of those puppets and so many of those practical effects. And mm-hmm. I, I I do have to say I, I I don't I don't even think it's that controversial. I don't know who thought it was a good idea, but I do think it was a little insulting for them to just cover over so many of those practical effects with the with the CGI stuff that just doesn't look half as good. Um, you know, they even changed size snoodles and they changed, you know, the whole Max Rebo band and they added all these other things to it. And it's the only way we can, uh, most people can really watch them now. And I, I, I do think that's a, that's a bit of a shame. So that's my only plug for anyone is that if you, if you're a fan of, uh, of Return of the Jedi, try to get your hands on the original pre special edition, pre extra added, uh, added stuff because, um, it was it was amazing when it uh, when it first came out. And I think it still holds up uh, pretty spectacularly. So, oh, absolutely, totally agree, Peter. In fact, yeah, I think I will as well. In fact, uh, I was able to secure DVDs of the uh, like. I remember Target had them, like uh, DVDs that had both the the, the special edition and the theatrical version attached to it, which was really, really? Cool, that I purchased way back in two thousand four. And oh, I since okay. I gotten rid of all my DVDs except for those because, like, I mean, I stream everything now, but I mean, those are like. Uh, I'll, I'll keep on hang on to them until I die basically <laughs> very cool very yeah. cool so as I said I've got to bust out my old uh, DVD player of right there in fact I have my PlayStation 4 <laughs> nice nice <laughs> again thank you well, Peter yeah. for joining me tonight uh, thank this you this has been so much fun I love chatting Star Wars and I'd love to have you on again so hopefully uh, in the near future we'll talk about another awesome. other great stuff I'll definitely look forward to it man. May, may the force be with you thank you as well Peter okay you've been listening to the Casting for Fun podcast thanks everybody